With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's go back to the Achieve a Credit Union hotline now here on PM Tampa Bay. And joining me is Declan Garvey, associate editor at The Dispatch. You can follow on Twitter at Declan P. Garvey. You can find his work at thedispatch.com. And he has a new piece out titled, I Probably Won't Ever Speak to Her Again. It's about Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, who's now the conference chair for the House GOP. Declan, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to talk about Stefanik's rise into this leadership position and really the bigger issues at play here. And, and first of all, what were you looking to get out of this piece when you set out to write it? Yeah, well, thank you so much for uh, for having me, Ryan. Great to be back. Uh, I was looking at, at, at this piece in particular and, uh, and Elise Stefanik as, uh, you know, she was Elected last week to to the number three position in the House Republican Conference, uh, replacing Representative Liz Cheney, who was voted out earlier in the week. Um, and there were a lot of pieces looking at kind of her rise through Republican politics, um, and and within the House Conference itself, she was elected as a moderate in um, from upstate New York in 2014, uh, and has kind of shifted uh, along with the Republican Party to to kind of embrace some of the more uh, Trumpier elements of the party. She went all in on uh, the former president's first impeachment defense. She was on the House Intelligence Committee and kind of made a name for herself there. Um, and then in the, in the post-election period, when when we were getting a lot of the uh, election fraud, uh, stolen election uh, kind of uh, misinformation campaigns that that were occurring in those months, uh, Stefanik really embraced those. And so I wanted to get at um, kind of what what caused that switch uh, in, in, you know, late 2019, early 2020, and then also um, try to provide a, a little bit of a unique angle because there were so many uh, stories about, about her in recent weeks as, as this vote was occurring. Um, she was a graduate of Harvard and kind of got her start in politics at the Harvard Institute of Politics. Um, and, and so I had a unique angle there where I could look into um, – some, some of her uh, early career and, and, and uh, some of her biggest mentors and influences at, at Harvard and how that has kind of uh, carried over into, into her current um, kind of uh, iteration of, of her political career. You have a section in your piece that really caught my attention, and I want to read it verbatim and then get your thoughts on it, have you elaborate on it. You write, quote, In many ways, Stefanik's Trump-era journey has mirrored that of her party as a whole. She went from panning Trump's rhetoric as insulting to women in 2015 to pledging to support her party's nominee, opting against using Trump's name, a few months later. By 2019, she was decrying Democrats' partisan impeachment charade, and by 2021, she was justifying her January objections to November's election by falsely claiming a quarter of all the ballots cast in Georgia's Fulton County were fraudulent. I mean, that's one hell of a political transformation. Yes. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And, and I think what part of what I wanted to get at in this piece is that, um, yes, she's in the news because she's being elected to that position, but she's not unique in, in terms of, uh, you know, how, how elected Republicans have kind of followed, um, 
the the trend lines of, of the party over the past couple of years. It seems that there are basically uh, two paths that that these elected officials could take if they were uh, elected into office prior to 2016, when when Trump took the party by storm and kind of remade uh, core elements of it. Is is you know you had the uh, Bob Corker, Jeff Flake uh, style Republican that you know decided, okay, this this is not the party that uh, I signed up for. I'm either going to retire um, or run and lose a, a primary and not adapt to kind of this new political reality. Um, or you have plenty of politicians who uh, kind of realize like this, this is where the energy is. These are where the voters are. And if I'm going to stay in Congress, I need to uh, adjust accordingly to, to make sure that I'm in line with, with what the voters want. And so it's different styles of, uh, of leadership, different kind of, political theory uh, being uh, implemented here, whether, you know, is, is it worth changing my views a little bit on the margins to, to stay in office and to, to continue to be uh, an elected leader? Um, or should I say what I think uh, kind of verbatim and, and let the electoral politics be damned and, and see, let the chips fall where they may. Um, and so, it was kind of an interesting look that, uh, you know, she made a choice that so many uh, Republicans have made over the past half decade uh, to kind of uh, adjust, at least rhetorically. And this is this is another thing that I get in at, at the piece is that her voting record in terms of actual policy has not shifted as much as her rhetoric and her um, kind of political style have. Um, and so that's been an interesting through line to follow. It, uh, I anticipate she will her voting record will get a little bit more uh, traditionally conservative as, as she moves into leadership and um, is kind of expected to uh, kind of be unified with the rest of the conference in, in that role. But up until, uh, you know, the past couple months, she would be uh, opposing the Republican Party's uh, kind of party line on climate change stuff, on immigration stuff, on uh, gender and, and um, equality act. So, uh, there are there are different ways to to kind of be uh, a Republican and in the the Trump era, and she's kind of tried to thread the needle um, pretty uh, pretty adeptly. I'm joined by Declan Garvey, associate editor at the Dispatch, who has a new piece out about Elise Stefanik, now the conference chair for the House GOP. She replaced Liz Cheney in that role. I find politicians like Stefanik to be particularly interesting because she's the type that comes from elite circles. She was entrenched in the establishment. By all accounts, she loved it. But then the political winds shift and the elites are bad and she acts like she was never one of them. She's a politician of the people now. What do you make of that? Because we're seeing that a lot. And honestly, I find it insulting. I I just can't stand people who pretend to be something they're not. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great uh, it's a great question, and it, it's definitely a phenomenon that we're seeing uh, more and more play out in in politics, especially as these you know uh, former establishment style figures like Stefanik, like Cruz, try to um, adapt to a, a new political reality. And because I, you I you lay that, out in, in your piece the Harvard Institute of Politics, and especially the senior advisory committee. I mean, this is the elite of the elite in politics, Harvard's Institute of Politics, and within that institute, the most elite circle. 
Exactly. And, you know, when Stefanik graduated, she, she got a job at the, the Bush White House, uh, obviously helped by kind of the connections that she that she made in college. Um, and so she that was kind of her first real uh, post-college job. She went to work on different campaigns and um, at the RNC, helping with the autopsy after the 2012 uh, election loss by, by Mitt Romney. So uh, this is very much a, a um, creature of the Republican Party and uh, kind of uh, as establishment as it gets. Yeah. But um, at, at, at the same time, I think we saw um, what Donald Trump was able to do in, in 2016. You have some of these similar kind of questions, like he's a he's a billionaire from New York City. Right. Um, he's been, you know, defrauding people and ripping people off. A former Democrat. For, for decades. Exactly. So how how is he the populist champion yeah. of of the conservative working class. And I think he very smartly was able to make the case that I was these people. I know how they've been ripping you off uh, for all these years. I'm going to take what I know and use it against them and kind of as a traitor to the elite class uh, in a way. And I think that, you know, to, to some extent, um, that's what these politicians at least will say that they're trying to do is, is, um, you know, yes, I had to go to these schools and, and do these programs in order to, to make it in society. But I don't think that you should have to do what I did. And I'm going to, you know, having having gotten that experience and those connections, I'm going to now use that uh, to help you. And and so, you know, th- th- there is a way to spin it. Um, I don't know how genuine and uh, and heartfelt it necessarily is, but uh, that is, I think, kind of a, a through line that we can see dating back to the beginning of Trump's campaign in 2015. I'm joined by associate editor at The Dispatch, Declan Garvey, who you can follow on Twitter at Declan P. Garvey. I don't know. Maybe I'm a rare breed in media and politics, but if iHeartRadio came to me tomorrow and said, change your tone, be all pro-Trump or all pro-Biden all the time, I'd say, thanks, but no thanks. It's time for me to go find something else to do, I guess. But some of these politicians, and I think Stefanik fits in this category, they seemingly just toss their principles and values and beliefs aside for a shot at greater political power. I think that's definitely a one way to, to read uh, her, her past couple of years, the, the actions and, and uh, things that she's done. Um, I also, I, you know, I talked to a lot of people for this piece. I talked to uh, one uh, former aide to, to House Republican uh, leadership, and, and they made an interesting point to me saying, uh, essentially, you have to kind of reevaluate uh, her first, you know, five years in Congress, knowing that this is what uh, she's doing now. Maybe she never really was a quote unquote moderate and, and uh, was really uh, set in, in her, those beliefs and had those principles. Uh, maybe that is what she realized her district wanted at the time. And then now that the, what her district has wanted has shifted, she has shifted along with it. So maybe, you know, it, there's one way to look at it as saying she's been kind of an, an establishment Republican uh, with moderate views on climate change and immigration and, and so on. Um, but there's another way to look at it where she's very good at knowing what her district wants uh, and when it wants it and adapting to, to those political realities. And I think, uh, you know, that's that's kind of a question only only she can really answer. Um, and unfortunately, her, her office declined to um yeah, give me an interview uh, with her for, for this piece. I would have loved to, to ask her some of these questions myself. But um, 
that is that is a different way of looking at it. But at the same time, I, I think there are uh, politicians uh, over the past couple of years that have been kind of even more abrupt and even more um, kind of uh, craven in, in the in the way that they're uh, adapting to to advance for their own ambition. And you quote one individual in your piece as saying. I honestly think to this day, Elise knows better. I really believe that. She went from someone who I thought was extremely principled and would be like a profile in courage to someone who is exactly the opposite of that. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, especially talking to people who knew her back in college. I mean, and full disclaimer, I, I was a, a member of the Harvard Institute of Politics as well when I was an undergrad uh, a couple of years after, after, um, Stefanik graduated, but, um, you know, they, that the IOP loved her and, and loved that, you know, she was, when she was first elected in 2014, she was the youngest woman ever elected to Congress, either party. Um, she's since then, that record was broken by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez a few years ago, but, um, but Stefanik was back on campus all the time doing mentorship and, um, and giving talks and teaching classes and, um, trying to help you know, connect people with, with careers in, in politics. Um, and I, you know, I think that that relationship has, has been pretty well severed. Um, obviously the, the board of the IOP, uh, kicked her off in the wake of January 6th, um, and, and kind of her, uh, participation in, in the lives that led to that day. Um, and, and you also see, uh, you know, some of these people that knew her in college are, are the, the, t- title of this piece that I wrote was, I probably will never speak to her again. That's someone that uh, was a friend of hers from the Institute of Politics. And, you know, I think uh, there are some political, obviously you don't, you don't want to only be friends with, with people that you agree with hundred percent politically, that'd be impossible. But um, I think that there are a lot of people who were very deeply hurt by, um, by kind of Stefanik's turn in particular, because, she had all these uh, opportunities and all these connections at the IOP and, uh, you know, kind of projected a very different persona than the one that, that uh, we're all seeing now. And so that kind of, uh, I think there's a lot of people who are struggling to kind of come to terms with uh, the person that they knew then to the person that they know now. I'm joined right now by Declan Garvey, associate editor at the dispatch, going back to something we were discussing a few moments ago, Let's say you're a conservative or progressive politician and you win in your particular district. And then over time, the views of that district change, as was the case in Stefanik's district. That move by politicians to shift their whole world view just to keep getting reelected, as opposed to instead just moving on, that's a fascinating decision. Absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the most interesting questions in politics. Um, and not, you know, not just now, but dating back, uh, hundreds of years, you know, yeah. that, that's kind of the, um, Edmund Burke style of, uh, political leadership. You know, he, he had the, the theory that, uh, you know, you're, you're elected into, into public office, um, because the people of your district or, or your state, what, what have you, uh, trust you to make decisions that are, the best for them on their behalf. Um, and so, you know, he would take plenty of, uh, votes that, that kind of went against what, what his, uh, constituents wanted because he believed that he had judgment, um, you know, having time to really think about all the issues and, and 
collect all the information available and 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 make a, an informed decision. Uh, he didn't win a lot of elections. Uh, you know, he, he was you <laughs> right. you kind of govern you govern like that, and yeah. you're going to pretty quickly be thrown to the curb. And so, that, I think there definitely is a balance uh, to be struck. Uh, obviously, you don't want to go into office and then immediately, um, you know, just vote against everything that uh, you were elected to do by your by your district. Um, but at the same time, I think that there is a balance where there there is a responsibility also to explain um, to to your constituents why something that they might believe, believe is wrong or is misguided or um, or what have you, if that is the case. And so I think. Um, with Stefanik in particular, the, the kind of election, um, uh, the stop the steal style election fraud claims, I think is one area where, um, rather than kind of push back and on some of the more outlandish, uh, theories out there, she kind of leaned into those and, and, um, really embraced them because her voters were embracing them. And, and so, you know, that's, that's a, a difficult question to answer. It's up to each individual elected official to, to kind of uh, decide where they come down on that, how much they want to push back against the passions of, of their voters. Um, but I think time and time again, you do see that people who do that too much are, are not in elected office uh, for very long. And, I, and, and to, to some extent, I think one of the problems with, with the way Congress is operating right now is, is people treat losing an election as kind of <laughs> you know, a, a cataclysmic event yeah. uh, where, you know, their entire life will be thrown upside down. And in a way it will, but, um, you know, I don't think that the founders intended uh, people to go to Congress and stay there their entire lives. No. It's kind of a, a transitory period. And so, um, you know, obviously we have leadership in, in both parties that are in their, uh, you know, 70s and 80s who's been uh, in Washington for, for decades now. Um, and I think that's kind of a, and it, you know, if you, you compare Joe Biden today to who he was when he was first elected, completely different um, in dozens of ways. The same as with, you know, Chuck Grassley has been here for almost 50 years. Like people adapt and shift and part of that is natural. But part of it is um, kind of a belief that you are going to be an elected official for your entire life. And so to do that, you need to uh, adapt with the crowd. Declan Garvey, associate editor at The Dispatch. You can follow him on Twitter at Declan P. Garvey, and you can find his piece. I probably won't ever speak to her again about Elise Stefanik at thedispatch.com. Declan, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking a few minutes to, to run through all of that with us. We appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.